But again, we've, uh, we've been in a series throughout this month called The Glory of Your Presence. And uh, the last couple of weeks, God has just really moved in our services and in our hearts through this series. And I have no doubt that while today is different, it's, it's, it's going to be the same type of impact. Uh, we've been focusing on the power of praise and worship in our lives and what worship can release into your life. And if you'll recall, in week one, we talked about what happens when we find ourselves in an atmosphere of worship, like Isaiah did in Isaiah chapter six. We talked about how the presence of God can come in and his glory can transform us in those moments. And then last week in week two, we talked about the benefits of praise and worship. We talked about how worship causes us to be reminded of who God is and what he's done in our lives, but it also releases the reality of God's covenant with us into our lives. So as we praise God, we are able to receive what he wants to do in us. And today as we continue this series, uh, very fittingly I think, I want to talk about how to experience the glory of the presence of God in your own home. I want to talk about what it looks like when God moves into your house and blesses you with his presence. And And there's actually a story in the Bible, where that very thing happened, it's found in 2 Samuel chapter 6, uh, verses 11 and 12. It's a, it's a very short story about a guy named Obed-Edom, who actually saw God, God's presence come into his house and transform his family forever. And I want to talk about how that can happen for you and me too. Let's look at the scripture together in 2 Samuel chapter 6, beginning in verse 10. It's what the Bible says. It says, he, and he is David here, he was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, for three months, and the Lord blessed him and his entire household. Now, King David was told, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of the Lord. So David went to bring up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. Let's take a minute right here. Let's pray and ask God to speak to us through his word today. Father, we thank you for this opportunity that we have, God, to hear from your word, to enjoy your presence. And Lord, I pray that you would bless us today by helping us to be hearers of the word and become doers of the word. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't just hear it with our ears, but God, we would receive it with our hearts, and it would cause us to be changed and transformed to become more like Jesus and the people you've called us to be. And we give you thanks and praise for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, let me start off by giving you just a little bit of background information on what's going on here, because Obed-Edom received the blessing of the Lord on his house because the Ark of the Covenant was brought to his house and left there. And see, the Ark of the Covenant was the visible symbol of the presence of God in the Old Testament. It was built by the Israelites when they were wandering in the desert before they went into the Promised Land. And God instructed Moses on the top of Mount Sinai to build this Ark. And when he told him, that he wanted him to build an ark, he gave him the exact dimensions and description of what he wanted this thing to look like. And so Moses passed that on to the people, and then the skilled craftsmen, they built the ark. And the ark was essentially a large chest made out of a certain type of wood, and it was gold-plated. And according to the Bible in Hebrews chapter 9, we know of three things that were placed inside the ark when it was built. 
The first one was the tablets of stone, the two tablets that the Ten Commandments were on. The second was a jar of manna. You'll remember that manna was the bread that fell from heaven uh, while the children of Israel were wandering through the desert. So they took a jar of manna and put it inside the Ark of the Covenant. And the third thing was the staff of Aaron, the priest. Aaron was the brother of Moses. God used his staff to do miraculous things both in Egypt and in the desert when they were there. And so they put the staff of Aaron in the Ark of the Covenant as well. And then they built a cover for the Ark of the Covenant that was also gold-plated. And the Bible says that the cover had two cherubim on either side of it. Cherubim is a type of angel. So they literally built angels on the, each side with their wings kind of hovering over their faces uh, on the cover of the Ark of the Covenant. And the center portion between the two cherubim uh, was left open, and it was called the mercy seat. And that's the place where God, his presence, would literally come and sit down and be with the people. It kind of reminds me of the scene in Isaiah chapter 6 that we talked about in week 1 when the Bible says Isaiah saw the Lord and he was exalted and sitting on his throne and the train of his robe filled the temple with his glory. He was between angels singing holy when Isaiah saw him. And so that's kind of the same scene that you see here with the Ark of the Covenant. God sitting between the angels who were hiding their faces and there were these wooden poles that they built that could be inserted into the ark that would allow them to carry it and take it with them wherever they went as they were wandering through the desert. Moses was told by God himself that the ark had to be carried in this way. It had to be carried with these poles on the shoulders of priests. So the only people who could carry the ark of the covenant were people who had been consecrated unto the work of the Lord. And God told Moses that the ark was the physical sign of his presence with the people so that everywhere the ark went, the presence of God was there. And as long as they had the ark, that God would continue to meet with Moses and he would continue to speak to him through the ark. So everywhere the people went, the ark of the covenant was carried in front of them so that literally the presence of God was going before them as they wandered. And, it, and if it wasn't moving, if they were stationary for a while, if they were going to stay in a place, they had a tent called the tabernacle and they would put the Ark of the Covenant in that place, in the tabernacle, and the presence of God would dwell there. And so the Israelites would often uh, take the Ark of the Covenant with them into battle. You'll recall in the Battle of Jericho in Joshua chapter 3, the Israelites marched around that city for seven days. Well, they carried the Ark of the Covenant in front of the army. And so every time they went around the wall, the Ark of the Covenant was the first thing that went around those walls. The, the priest carried the Ark. It was the visible symbol of the presence of God going before them and resting on them. And it worked. After seven days around the walls, on the seventh time, on the seventh day around, the walls of Jericho came down just like God said they would. They didn't come down because of military power and might. Those walls came down because the presence of God went before them and did what only God can do. Well, years later, the Israelites found themselves at war with another group of people called the Philistines. And they were having trouble winning those battles against the Philistines, so they decided that what they needed was to take the Ark of the Covenant out into the battlefield. That was the problem. They're losing battle after battle. And so they just think, man, we need the presence of God with us. And so they decide to get the Ark of the Covenant out of the tabernacle in a town called Shiloh and take it out with them onto the battlefield. The problem was 
The priests who were designated to carry the ark, two guys by the name of Phineas and Hophni, they were the sons of the high priest named Eli. Those guys were sinful according to the scripture. They were not righteous. They were really not living for the Lord. And God had warned Eli that because of their unrighteousness and because of their sin and because he refused to address the sin in his own family line with these priests who were his sons, that calamity was going to befall them and something awful was going to happen to them. But those warnings went unnoticed. And Eli literally did nothing with those warnings. And so when Hophni and Phinehas took the Ark of the Covenant from the tabernacle and brought it out into the battlefield, the presence of God did not, in fact, go with them. And they were utterly defeated at the hands of the Philistines. Hophni and Phinehas were both killed in battle. And the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord was captured by the Philistine army. Now, the Bible says that the Ark of the Covenant stayed in Philistine hands for about seven months. And the truth is, it was the worst seven months of their lives. The first thing they did was they put the Ark of the Covenant in the temple that they had built in a town called Ashdod. And this temple was built to one of their gods, a god by the name of Dagon. Now, Dagon looked a little bit like King Triton from The Little Mermaid. I know there's probably a lot of kids watching me, so that's what I want you to think in your mind. King Triton, that's what they're worshiping and pretending is God. And they they believed that Dagon was half man and half fish. And uh, they were coastal people. They lived right on the coastline. And so they believed that as long as they worshiped Dagon, they would be blessed in all of uh, the stuff going on with the seas. They would find success in commerce and in fishing and eating and all those things. And so that's why they worshiped the god Dagon. Well, when they put the Ark of the Covenant in the temple of Dagon, The next morning when they came in, they found the idol that they had built for Dagon lying prostrate on the ground in front of the Ark of the Covenant. Literally, what they found was the god Dagon lying on his face, worshiping the God of Israel in front of the Ark. So they picked him up and they put him back in place. They thought, well, that was weird. Well, the next morning they come in and they see the same thing. Dagon, again, has fallen from his throne in the temple and he is lying prostrate before the Ark of the Covenant. And this time when they find him, they found him broken into several pieces. And at this time, uh, at the same time that Dagon is bowing down to the Ark of the Covenant, the Bible says that a, a plague broke out amongst the people of Ashdod and their bodies became covered in tumors Rats, they they became infested with rats. Rats were running all over their town, filling their streets and their homes. And so they thought, man, we don't want the Ark of the Covenant here anymore. All of this stuff that's happening to us is happening since we brought the Ark of the Covenant here. So they moved the Ark of the Covenant to another town in Philistine country called Gath. Well, things didn't go much better in Gath either. As soon as they brought the Ark of the Covenant to Gath, the people broke out in boils all over the town. And so they thought, well, we're not going to leave it here. So they moved it to another Philistine town called Ekron. The same thing happened there. People broke out in boils all over the city. So after seven months of this going on, the Philistines decided that they did not want the Ark of the Covenant anywhere in their nation, and they wanted to return it back to the nation of Israel. So they put it on a cart pulled by oxen, and they directed that cart to the border of of Philistine country and the nation of Israel. There's a town there called Beth Shemesh, and the, the ark stayed in that town for 20 years. So then you fast forward 20 years later, and 
David is now the king of Israel, and he wants the Ark of the Covenant back in Jerusalem where it belongs. And so he puts together a team of people to go to Beth Shemesh and bring the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. Well, there was a problem. David and those advising him apparently did not know what the word of God was concerning the Ark. Because when they transported the Ark from the town of Beth Shemesh to Jerusalem, they put it on a cart with wheels pulled by oxen. And God had explicitly told Moses that the only way you can move this ark is with it being carried on the shoulders of the priest. But they didn't do it that way. They're probably thinking, you know what? We're going to work smarter, not harder. I've got a cart with wheels. I've got some oxen here. Let's just make this thing easy. Let's do it quickly. Let's put the Ark of the Covenant on the cart, and we'll get it to Jerusalem before nightfall. Well, as the cart moved along on the bumpy road, the Bible says that it, it, it became unstable and it was starting to fall off the cart. And then there's a guy named Uzzah who was there helping to transport it to Jerusalem. And he just reached up his hand to steady the ark and keep it from falling off the cart. And the Bible says when he touched it, he immediately fell down dead. And this angered David. And it caused him to be scared of the Lord. The Bible says a great fear came over him. And so he said, you know what? I'm not bringing the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem anymore. I don't want it in Jerusalem. I'm just going to leave it right here. And right here just so happened to be the property of a man by the name of Obed-Edom. And so rather than taking the Ark back to Jerusalem, they left it right there in his house. And then they went back to Jerusalem without the Ark of the Covenant. So look at 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 11 again. It says, the Ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom for three months, and the Lord blessed him and his entire household. Now, I want to give you two big keys for having the blessing of the presence of God dwell in your house today. I believe that God wants to dwell in your house. I believe that he wants his presence to fill your house and everything in it. I believe that he wants to bless you and me just like he did Obed-Edom but I think there's two keys to experiencing the presence of God like that. And here's the first one. If you want the blessing of God, if you want to experience his presence, you've got to be willing to host his presence. The glory of the Lord will show up when you're willing to host his presence. You have to decide to host him. The Bible says that David left the ark in the house of Obed. But check this out. Obed could have said no. He could have said, you know what? I don't want the ark in my house. We've got enough furniture around here. It's already crowded as it is. I don't want any more furniture. We could have said, you know what? I heard about what happened to Uzzah. And I don't want the ark in my house because I, I heard about what happened to that poor guy. I don't want it here. You know, there's a house less than a mile up the road. A guy named Steve lives there. Real nice. Drop it off at his house. He's got plenty of room in his garage. I've seen it. Just leave it at his house. I don't want the ark of the covenant in my house because of all the trouble it's caused over the last 20 years or so. Obed-Edom could have said no, but he didn't. He said yes to hosting the presence of the Lord. He decided that he and his household would love to have the Ark of the Covenant in their house. They made a decision to host the presence of God. And because they made that decision, they got to experience the blessings of the Lord, listen, in a super abundant way. They experienced supernatural blessing on their house, and on everything that was involved with their house, on their home, their family, everything, 
because they made a decision to host the presence of God. Listen, if you want to host, if you want the presence of God in your home, you've got to be willing to host his presence. So how do you do that? How do you host the presence of the Lord? You do that by becoming a true worshiper. That's how you host the presence of God. Now, I love this. When when I read the Bible, occasionally something just jumps out at me and I learn something new. And that happened to me this week when I was preparing for this message because I learned that the name Obed in the Hebrew literally means worshiper. That's what his name means. It means a worshiper of God. And Obed was able to host the presence of God because he was a true worshiper. Listen, worshiping God was not just something that he did. It was literally who he was. At the core of his being, he was a worshiper of the God whose presence went with that ark. Now listen, the presence of God, it will find worshipers like Obed-Edom. The presence of God will find people who are longing for his presence. This is what the Bible says in 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9. It says, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. What does that mean? The eyes of the Lord are looking for people that will worship him, who, who not just do it in, in, in practice, not just people who worship God, but people who live to worship God. Psalms chapter 22, verse 3 says, he, insit, he sits upon the praises of his people. He sits enthroned on the praises of his people. If you want the king of heaven to come and sit down in your heart and home, then you need to become a true worshiper. When you become a true worshiper, you won't have to go out and find the presence of God. The presence of God will come and find you. David made a decision. We're going to leave the ark in Obed-Edom's house, but I think God made the decision long before David did because he wanted to dwell in the home of a true worshiper. The presence of God will find your heart when your heart is truly the heart of a worshiper. And I use that word true in front of the word worshiper intentionally because the truth is there are many people who claim to be a worshiper of God and they certainly want his presence to come. They want, they want his blessing. They definitely want him to come and show up when they find themselves in a time of trouble, but they really don't have the heart of a worshiper because when it comes down to it, there's something else sitting enthroned on their heart other than God. It might be the gods of this world. It might be the their own desires, their own desires of their heart, the, 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 the lust of the flesh, the Bible calls it. They worship, but their worship isn't really directed to God because there's something in the way that's taking the worship of God away. That was the problem with the two sons of Eli, the high priest in Israel, the two sons, Phinehas and Hophni. They were both priests of the Lord. Their job was to worship God continually. Their job was to make sacrifices of worship to God on behalf of the people. But the Bible says that they were sinful, they were unrighteous, and their hearts were far from him. The scripture actually says that they took the worship that was designated for the Lord and they redirected it unto themselves. And they lost the presence of God as a result of their hearts not really being about worshiping God. When they took the Ark of the Covenant out of the tabernacle and brought it out to the battlefield, the people of the town, they declared Ichabod, meaning the glory of the Lord has departed from Israel. Some of you may be wondering right now, where is the glory of God in my life? Where is the presence of God in my home? I don't feel him. 
I can't see the evidence of him working. I don't, I don't think that he's with me. I feel like I'm all by myself. What's going on? You're wondering, God, where are you? Listen to me. Look no further than your own heart. There might be something else sitting on the throne that's receiving worship and praise and honor and faith that God should be receiving from you right now. This is precisely what Jesus was talking about with the woman at the well in John chapter 4 when she was very, very confused about what true worship looked like. She was concerned, where do we worship? Do we worship in the temple in Jerusalem or do we worship up here on this mountain? I'm confused about what real worship looks like. Jesus answered her in John chapter 4 verse 23 and he said, a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. Don't miss that. See, the Father is seeking true worshipers. Why is he seeking true worshipers? It's the same thing that you see with Obed-Edom. He's seeking true worshipers so that he can bring the power of his presence and his blessing into their lives because he's a good father and that's what he wants to do. God's not looking for people who are worshipers in in word only, in name only. They're just going through the motions. They come to church, but their heart is far from him. They do what they're supposed to do in front of everybody when people are looking, but when they go back to their own homes, when nobody's looking, when they find themselves behind closed doors, the lifestyle that they're living is not being lived in worship unto God. It's, It's very, very different from what everybody else sees. God is looking for true worshipers in these days, people who want him more than anything else, people who have opened the the hearts, their hearts to him, the doors of their hearts are wide open to him. Those are the kind of worshipers that the Father is seeking. Those who long to host his presence, those are the ones that he's going to be blessing with his supernatural presence and power. James chapter 4 verse 8 says this, it says, come near to God and he will come near to you. What does that mean? Become a true worshiper of God and God's presence will come to you. But that's the key. You got to become a true worshiper just like Obed-Edom was. His worship invited the presence of God. He was willing to host the presence of God when everybody else was scared. Obed said, you can leave the ark here. Let me give you another key to having the presence of God in your home. If you want the presence of God to come and dwell in your house, like it did for Obed-Edom, you've got to be willing to honor the presence. You have to choose to host the presence, and secondly, you've got to choose to honor the presence. One thing that we learn from the Scripture as a whole is the importance of honor. Honor always carries with it a reward. You will rarely find the subject of honor or the principle of honor in the Scripture and not see a reward attached to it. And I've preached and taught on that uh, many times over the years. I'm not going to go back through all of that. But honor is very, very important to receiving the blessing of the Lord in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And the Bible says that the blessing of God was on Obed-Edom and his entire household Because the Ark of the Covenant was there. It said in verse 12 that everything he had was blessed. That means that it was his property, it was his house, it was his children, it was his produce, it was the work of his hands. Everything that Obed-Edom had to his name had the blessing of God on it. It was literally overflowing with the blessing of God. How did that happen? Well, it happened because Obed-Edom honored the presence of God And God honored him with his blessing, the glory of his presence. So you have to understand something else about this guy, Obed. 
uh, in the scripture. Not only was he a true worshiper, but he was also a Levite. That means that he belonged to the priestly tribe in Israel. So while David may not have been fully aware of the priestly requirements of handling the Ark of the Covenant and transporting the Ark, Obed was. Obed knew the scripture, he knew the law, he knew the importance of honoring the presence of God, and he knew the key to hosting the presence of God and keeping it in his house was having a spirit of honor. See, where the presence of God is honored, the result is blessing. But where the presence of God is dishonored, the result is something far different from his blessing. You can see this principle clearly throughout the scripture. The presence of God was honored among the people of God in the desert. And the result was God showed up every single day and he led them. The Bible says as a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. The presence of God was honored when they crossed the Jordan River and they came into their promised land. The Bible says in Joshua 3 that they stood in the middle of the river, the priests did, with the Ark of the Covenant on their shoulders. And as they stood in the middle of the Jordan River, the presence of God literally came and it pushed the water back so that the people could cross over into the promised land on dry ground. The, pre the presence of God was honored in the Battle of Jericho when they marched around those walls carrying the presence of God on their shoulders. It was the presence of God that brought those walls down. The presence of God was honored when they dedicated the temple in 2 Chronicles chapter 7. When they built the temple, they put the Ark of the Covenant in a room called the Holy of Holies. And as they began to dedicate and consecrate this building to the Lord, the result was the glory of the presence of God came in in such a strong way. The Bible says actually a cloud came in and it filled every room of the temple. And it was so strong, the presence of God was so strong that the priests could not perform their duties and all the people could do was lay on their faces before the Lord. See, where the presence of God is honored, his blessing shows up. You don't have to go out looking for a blessing. You just have to choose to honor his presence through worship and honor him and he will show up. And where he shows up, listen, his blessing follows. But where his presence is dishonored, we see a very different result. His presence was dishonored by the priests of Israel, and they lost that battle and lost their lives. His presence was dishonored by the Philistines, and plagues broke out all over their land. His presence was dishonored by 70 men in the town of Beth Shemesh, and they were killed as a result. His presence was dishonored by Uzzah and David, and the result was Uzzah lost his life. See, Obed and his family were priests from the Levitical line, and he understood the importance of honoring the presence of God. He understood that honor was key to experiencing the blessing. In fact, after the ark was returned to Jerusalem, the Bible says in the book of 1 Chronicles chapter 26 that Obed and his sons became gatekeepers in the house of the Lord. That means that their primary objective was to host and honor the presence of God continually in the tent where it was kept because they knew that blessing comes when the presence of God is honored. So listen to me today. I don't want to come down on anybody. I don't want to come off as harsh or, or hurt you in any way. But the Lord spoke to me this week, and he told me that, that some of you are not experiencing his blessing in your house because you're dishonoring his presence. Now, I don't know what that looks like. Some of you, it struck a chord with you immediately, and you know. You know there's something going on in your life and in, in your home that's dishonoring to the Lord. 
The fact of the matter is, some of you may be actually inviting the disdain of the Lord rather than the blessing upon your home because you're repeatedly dishonoring him. You're sharing his glory with something else or you're just in the way. And you refuse to let him sit on the throne in your home. See, the way you live your life matters. The decisions that you make, they carry weight. And you can choose to honor the Lord and walk in his blessing. This is what 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 30 says. God says to us, he says, those who honor me, I will honor. But those who despise me will be disdained. See, honor carries the reward of his blessing and the reward of his presence. But dishonor carries disdain. Let me make this real practical for a moment. How do you honor the Lord in your home? What does that look like? Because we want the presence of God to, to dwell in our, in our homes. If we're followers of Jesus, of course we do. We want his blessing to be upon us and our families. So what does that look like? Well, the Bible says that there were three things that they put inside the Ark of the Covenant. And I think that these three things represent three ways that we can honor the presence of the Lord when it comes to our own house and our family. And the first one is the staff of Aaron. The Bible says that they put the staff of Aaron inside the, the Ark of the Covenant. And Aaron was the first priest of Israel. He was, he was Moses' brother, and God used that staff that Aaron carried to do miraculous things in Egypt and in the desert. You see it over and over again. Well, one of the signs that appeared uh, through the staff in the desert happened right after the people had rebelled against the authority that God had placed over them, Moses and Aaron. See, there was a divine order in the way that the people of God were created to relate to him and relate to one another. And the priest was established in a seat of honor due to his calling from God and his commitment to the people. And when the priest was honored, the people received the blessing of the Lord because of his service to them. See, listen to me. If you want the blessing of the Lord on your house, you must choose to honor the authority that God has placed in your home. You must operate in your home in divine order and in an honorable way. You've got to honor one another. Let me talk to the families just for a minute. The Bible teaches that the man, the husband, the father is called to be the priest of his home. So men, listen to me. That's part of our calling. It's part of what God has called us to do and what he expects of us. We are anointed and appointed by God to lead our families well. Just as Aaron was appointed to lead the nation of Israel, we have a responsibility not just to ourselves, but also to our families, to our wives, and to our children to lead them according to what the Word of God says, to pray over them and to fight for them, stand in the gap for them when they're under spiritual attack. And when our homes function in this divine order of honor and authority, the blessing of God follows. Listen to me. This is not a hypothesis for me. This is not a theory that may or may not be true. I have seen this play out over and over and over again throughout my life. When our homes function in, in divine order, there is a flow of blessing that's happening in our homes. But when the husband refuses to step into his place of authority and lead, or when the husband steps into that place of authority to lead his family, but he is dishonored by his spouse or his children through rebellion, the results are never good, ever. You will not walk in the blessing of God when your house functions in disorder. The husband and the father 
is to be honored as the priest of the home. That's part of the divine order in the home that brings the blessing of God. But that's not all. See, there's an equal responsibility on the man to honor his wife and his children as well. See, it's not about just one member of the family receiving all the honor and all the respect and they've got all the authority and, and, and the rest of the family is just simply there to serve him. That's not what the Bible teaches at all. Honor in the home is about mutual honor and mutual respect for one another. So it's wives obeying and submitting to their husband, honoring them in that way. But husbands are also to honor their wives by loving them as Christ loves the church. Children are supposed to submit and honor their father and mother as unto the Lord. But the father and mother are also not supposed to exasperate their children according to Ephesians chapter 6. See, there is a mutual honor that happens in the home. And when mutual honor is happening, the flow of the blessing of God is in the home. Now, Ephesians chapter 5 bears this out with a lot of great detail. I'm not going to get into all that today, but if you want to read it, go ahead and read about it in Ephesians chapter 5. It talks about the relationship between the husband and the wife and how to do this in an honoring way. But it's a mutual honoring of one another. When there is honor in the home, the blessing of God comes in response to that. But where there is dishonor, listen, you should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. In fact, according to Psalms chapter 133, what you should expect to receive if there's dishonor in the home is a spirit of disunity. So listen to me today. I say this in love. Listen, stop going outside the relationships that God has ordained and called you to looking for some blessing from him or anybody else or somebody or something to meet your needs. If you'll start honoring the people that God has placed in your life and, and place you in their lives, then the blessing of God will show up in your house. And when he shows up, he'll meet all your needs as well. Obed had the presence of God in his home because he honored the presence of God. We're talking about what honor looks like in the home based on what was inside the Ark of the Covenant itself. And here's the second one. There was the staff of Aaron and then there was a jar of manna. Included in the Ark of the Covenant was this jar of manna. And again, manna was the bread from heaven. It fell down from heaven. The Israelites did not create it. They didn't grow the grain and make the bread the manna fell from heaven every single morning. It showed up as a faithful provision from the Lord for them while they were wandering in the desert. So listen to me. If you want the blessing of God on your home, you need to start to honor the testimony of the Lord's provision. That's what the manna represents. It's the testimony of the Lord's provision. The manna was included in the ark to remind the people that their God was able to provide for them and take care of them, even with miracles if necessary. See, we honor the Lord in our families and in our homes when we honor the testimony of his faithfulness to us. So let me just ask you real quick, what has God done for you? When someone asks you that, what has God done for you? What comes to your mind? Are, are you able to recount the stories of his faithfulness? Maybe how he saved you. Maybe how he delivered you. Maybe how he brought you out. Maybe how he worked a miracle in your life. Maybe how he healed you from sickness. What has God done for you? Do you ever talk about it? Do you ever think about it? Do you ever celebrate? Do you ever praise him for what he's done? Do your kids know about how faithful God has been to you? In Deuteronomy chapter 11, God reminds the people through his word that it was not their children who were delivered out of Egyptian bondage and slavery. He tells them it was not your children who experienced the parting of the Red Sea. It was not your children who experienced healing at the waters of Marah and drank 
from water that came from a rock or ate the bread that fell from heaven. He's reminding them that if they do not tell their children about the faithfulness of the Lord their God, they might just have children who grow up who know nothing about how faithful God has been to them. We honor the Lord by honoring the testimony of His provision in our lives and in our families. You know, I've lost all of my grandparents. Now, my last set of grandparents died less than a year ago. They died within hours of each other across the hall from each other. It was the ultimate love story. They lived almost their entire lives together. And one thing that I'm already missing with my grandparents being gone is the stories that I love to hear them tell. I love to hear stories of my, from my grandparents about how faithful God's been to our family. My grandfather told me about my great-grandfather who died when he was just a baby. But he was a wonderful man of God and he served the church. And he was such a wonderful man that when he passed away, the pastor of the local church wrote in the newspaper, wrote an article, took out an ad just celebrating his life and talking about what a great man he was. I've heard the stories of my great-grandmother and how she believed God when she literally had nothing. After my great-grandfather passed away, she believed God, and God just worked miracle after miracle after miracle. I've heard the stories about healings that took place in my family. I've heard the stories of how God woke her up in the middle of the night and, 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 and called her to pray and intercede for others and how God would work mightily in their lives. I've heard the stories from when my parents were growing up and how God provided for them their every single need. They never, they never lived a, a day in their life when they didn't have what they needed because of the Lord's provision. I remember the stories of when I was a kid and my brother was diagnosed with cancer and he was literally on death's door and my dad cried out to God for healing and God showed up and healed his body. When it looked like it was over and the doctors gave them little to no hope, God intervened and he healed his body. I know that there is a faithfulness running through my family line that did not stop with my grandparents and it did not stop with my parents and it won't stop with me and Carmen. It will go on to our children because there is a a provision of the faithfulness of God. There's a testimony that we continue to pass out because we honor the Lord. We continue to pass it down from one generation to the next. They will know the stories of God's provision. We honor the Lord when we honor the testimony of what He's done for our family. If you want the blessing of God in your house, then begin to honor the testimony of what God has already done. He will pour more blessing on you when you turn it back into praise to Him. In the Ark of the Covenant was the staff of Aaron representing the priesthood. It was a jar of manna representing the, the, the faithfulness, the testimony of the Lord's provision. And thirdly, inside the Ark were tablets of stone, Ten Commandments that had been written on those stones representing the Word of the Lord. And if you want the blessing of God in your home, then lastly, you need to choose to honor the Word of the Lord. You need to choose to honor the word of God. Psalms chapter 119 verses 1 through 4 says, Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according, watch this, to the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. They do no wrong, but they follow his ways. You have laid down precepts that are to be fully obeyed. Listen, if you want the blessing of God in your house, if you want the blessing of God on your whole household and everything in it, 
Then honor the word of the Lord by reading it, discussing it, and applying it to your everyday living. The scripture says that the wisdom of this world is perishing. It comes to nothing. And boy, we have seen that over and over and over again in our world over the last couple of years. The wisdom of the world and what people put out there is wisdom and wise and truth. It, 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 it just shows itself over and over and over again to be falling apart and not being strong. It produces nothing of eternal value. It changes like the weather each day in Colorado. But the word of the Lord endures forever. It endures from generation to generation to generation. You can put stock in the word of the Lord. So when you honor the word of the Lord, you get to walk in the blessing that comes from honoring his word. Blessed are those who walk in it and keep it and fully obey it. I want to ask you right now in your home just to bow your heads and close your eyes with me as we get ready to close today. And I want you just to begin to, to, to think inwardly and have a conversation with the Lord right now in your own way. You can talk out loud if you want to, but if you're with other people in the room, maybe, maybe just have a silent conversation with God. Because see, Obed-Edom, he had the blessing of God in his house. He had the blessing of the Lord, the presence of God in his house because he chose to live his life in a couple of ways. He chose to host the presence of God through worship. He also chose to honor the word of the Lord. He chose to honor the presence of God and be honoring towards the presence of God to handle it correctly. When we honor God, God will honor us. And so I just want you to ask yourself right now in the presence of God, right here in your homes, are you living your life right now like Obed-Edom? Are you a true worshiper? Or are you more going through the motions? And there's a work in your heart that God needs to do, God wants to do, that will cause you to become a true worshiper, someone who worships him in spirit and in truth. Maybe you're someone and you haven't been honoring the Lord. In fact, maybe you've been dishonoring the Lord and you've been dishonoring his presence. And God doesn't want to leave you like he found you today. He doesn't want to leave you in the same place that you're in. He wants to come in and take up residence in your heart and take up residence in your home. But you've got to be willing to receive him and accept him and begin to honor him. So, Father, right now I pray over this congregation. I pray over everybody who's watching me today. Lord, that you would minister to our hearts and minds, that you would minister to our needs, God. But Lord, more than any of that, God, that our homes would be a place that hosts your presence. God, that our hearts would be a place that honors you. Lord, we, we want the blessing of God on our homes. We want the blessing of God on our children and the things that we put our hands to, Lord. We want your blessing of provision, Lord. We want your power to work mightily in us, God, so that everything under our household and under our name has the blessing of God on it. But Lord, we realize that that doesn't just happen by accident. It happens when we make intentional decisions to host your presence and to honor you. So God, I pray that there would be a deep transformative work that you would do in our hearts today that would cause us to become more like Jesus and would cause us to become people whose presence, Lord, you dwell in and you abide in. And you lead and guide our lives. And we give you praise for that, Lord, for working today. Thank you, God, for hearing our prayers. Thank you, Lord, for working in us.
if there's something, God, in our hearts and in our homes, Lord, that's dishonoring or it's, it's, it's causing you to not feel welcome, Lord, would you reveal those things to us now so that we can repent, make it right, fix it? Lord, right now to every heart that's, that's fixed on you, every heart that's focused on you, Lord, speak, reveal your word, your truth. In Jesus' name. And Father, I want to lift up every single family that's affected by COVID-19 right now. Lord, your word says that by your stripes, we are healed. It says that you sent forth your word and you healed our diseases. And God, we know that this disease is evil by its very nature. The way that it attacks the human body and our immune systems, Lord, it's evil. And so, Father, I pray that you would bring healing, God, to those affected right now, Lord, that you would send forth your word and you would bring healing to their bodies, God. You would bring healing to homes that are affected right now, Father. I pray for, for peace, for strength, God. Lord, for, for safety and security, God, in our hearts and minds, Lord, in, over our bodies, we come against this attack from the enemy. We come against this sickness and we say, be gone in Jesus' name. Be gone in Jesus' name. And let the healing virtue of God, let the healing grace of God come and move in our lives. We give you thanks and praise for it in Jesus' name.